Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Uh, we've been in this book of Ruth. We've been in the book of Ruth. You're going to want to turn to Ruth chapter 2 this morning. And we're calling this uh, dark to light, dark to light. And you're going to see another step toward the light uh, this morning. And so um, I, I think, I'm, I'm hoping, man, remember this is just a snapshot that God has given us to reveal to us his character, who he is. He's going to reveal to us the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. He's going to reveal that to us too. It's the eighth book of the Bible. If you get to, if you're going through, you start with Genesis and you're flipping through. If you get to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, you too far, back up. But it's just a short, cha- it's a short book. It's four chapters. So if you've got it when you're ready, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And uh, again, if you're newer, uh, we don't up, down, up, down the whole time. Uh, but we do stand during our primary text, and the simple reason is that it's, it's very symbolic for us. It's not right or wrong, it's just symbolic for us, but it's our acknowledgement that this is God speaking, and so we want to just heed that. This is chapter 2, and I'm just reading three verses. It says in verse 1, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain, left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replies, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Verse 3, so Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, she uh, found herself working in the field that belongs to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful. I I love and I think of the fact you, you didn't just create us and then just turn us loose on this planet to try to figure it out. God, you've given us your holy word, your instruction. It's, this, is, this is you talking to us to give us instruction, to give us wisdom, to give us life. You speak truth. And we are just, just so grateful for that, Father. Thank you. And uh, so, Lord, uh, I'm praying now that, the, that your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would speak, would, would speak into our hearts, would take these words and, and speak into our hearts, speak truth to us. And, and God, that you'd speak to each of us individually as we have need, whether we're in this room or whether we're watching at home, God, I pray that you just speak life. What, what is it you want to say to each of us? That's, the, that's what we want to know. And, and Father, do it in a way that it becomes worship, that it only reveals you and draws us closer to you. Uh, Father, we're grateful uh, for the presence of your spirit here this morning. We say, Spirit, have your way. Just do what you want. We pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So we said that, right? Dark to light, dark to light, that's, that's where the book of Ruth goes, really. It's a great picture of dark to light. And so uh, last week, when we started out, we saw this. It says in Ruth 1.1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. And here's what you need to know, is that that was pretty dark, pretty dark, pretty dark. In Judges chapter, it's about 16, Judges 17, Judges 18, Judges 19, Judges chapter 21. All those chapters say there, they, ha- they all have this phrase in there. In the days when the judges ruled... Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the time period that we're dealing with here. In the days when the judges ruled, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They, they had wandered far from God. I mean, there was just terrible trouble, terrible trouble in the land because people were doing what was right in their own eyes. They're not following after God. They're not worshiping after God. And further, not only was it the day when the judges ruled, it says a severe famine came upon the land. There's a famine. Now, we learned this, that the Bethlehem, which is where this is taking place, literally means the house of bread. Think about it. There's a famine in the house of bread. 
Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, God has already told the Israelites, he said, listen, if you folks follow after me, if you worship after me, if you're obedient, if you do as I say, if you, I will bless you. The heavens will open up and they'll pour out rain. And your fields will produce, and, right? But be careful, he says in the next verse. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't go and chase foreign gods. Don't worship other gods. Don't become disobedient to me. And then he says this, because if you do, if you do that, if you chase other gods, if you worship other gods, if you serve other gods, the Lord's anger will burn against you. He'll shut up the sky and hold back the rain, and the ground will fail to produce its harvest. Well, that's what they're experiencing. They're having famine. The fields are not producing the harvest. Why? Because they've wandered away from God. And so what we've said is that the book of Ruth is a snapshot that takes place during the time of the judges. And the snapshot is specifically to give you and I another view of God, to reveal something special to us about God. Many things we're learning about here about God and about Christ and about the Savior. So we're going to learn another one of those things today. But what I would tell you is this. There's those times, and have you noticed this in life, when there's something that you kind of know and you think you have a good understanding, you think you have a grasp of it, and then you learn something else and you're like, oh, Oh, didn't know that, didn't really have a feel for that, didn't fully get that. Uh, I, I uh, always describe myself, and I mean this with all sincerity, uh, you will rarely find somebody who loves golf as much as I do and is as bad at it as I am. It's just, I pray, I've prayed for healing, it's just not happening, right? And so... Uh, every once in a while, somebody will give me a tip, or I'll watch a video, and I get a tip, and, and I actually go to the course, and I'm like, oh, I felt that, that actually worked, like, I felt that. And I always thought I knew how to do that, and then I gained a deeper understanding, and I was like, oh, oh, that's it, right? We don't have kids. Everybody, you know, the people who don't have kids, they know everything about raising kids, right? Maybe you were younger, maybe you were married for a while, and then you had kids, and all of a sudden you went, oh. Like, we all thought, oh, I know how to raise a kid. Mm -mm -mm. You have kids. Oh, deeper understanding, right? I know fully now. I get it. Uh, the best explanation to me, about a year ago, I was talking to a guy, I'm just trying to get to know him, and I said, hey, what do you do? And he says, hey, I'm an electrician, and we talked about what it was like to be an electrician for a while, and what are the funny things about your job? And he says, well, I can tell you this, everybody thinks they know what it would be like to be electrocuted. Oh, he said, once you get electrocuted, you get it, you understand, right? You're like, oh, that's what that's like. And I think today we're going to get an understanding. If you're church folk and you've grown up in the church, you've been in church all your life, we have this understanding of a word that we use all the time. And just so you know, if you're not church, a church folk, you're not even a follower of Jesus, you just say, hey, I'm just here. I want to be a part of the conversation. I just tuned in online. I just, right, right on. I, you're in the right place, man. I love having you here. But I'm just telling you that church folks do this all the time. We use these big churchy words and everybody goes, mm, oh yeah, mm -hmm. nobody knows what it means. Like we just do that all the time. Today is going to be a great understanding of a very common biblical term. I think we're going to have a slightly different view of it. All right? So now we get into Ruth chapter 2. Our story starts here today. There was a wealthy man. Now, now remember this. i got to back up for a second. Sorry. Remember it was going dark, right? The days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. Like, that's really, really dark. But then there was a guy we learned his name was Elimelech. It means uh, my God is king right? Elimelech takes his wife and his two boys. His wife's name is Naomi. His two boys are Malon and Kilion. Naomi means bright, cheerful. Malon and Kilion means, their names mean sick and weak. Well, sick and weak die eventually, but, but they, all go to, they all go to Moab. And Moab was this terrible, horrific place. First of all, you would never leave the promised land. Why would you leave the promised land, the land of God's blessing? No, you, you don't do that. Why would you move? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. It was, it was an act of disobedience. And not only did they leave, they could have gone to Edom. They could have gone to a lot of different places. They went to Moab. 
Oh, no, you didn't. Moab is their arch rival. Moab called down their god, Baal, and asked him to put a curse on the Israelites. They're like arch rivals. Moab, the people who lived in Moab, they are Satan worshipers. Moab got its name, Moab. They're named after a man, Moab, who was the result of a drunken, incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. The girls got their father drunk. They wanted to have children. They weren't married. They got pregnant by their father because they got him drunk. And the one daughter had a son, and his name was Moab. That's where they're at, the, the place that's named after this incestuous, drunken relationship, the place that are Satan worshipers, the place that's their arch rivals. It's outside of the promised land. And that's about as dark as it can get, right? And then we saw it start. We're not all the way to the light yet, but we saw a trend where it's now, from that point on, it moves toward the light. Naomi returned. She'd been just in Moab 10 years with her, boy, her uh, husband and two boys, and they all died. I mean, dark, dark, dark. She turns, and she returns, and she goes back to Israel, and that's where she's at. And now that she's there, it says, it introduces this. It says there's a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem. His name is Boaz. Boaz means strength. That's what his name means. And we know that he's wealthy and influential, but, but influential may really, a better understanding may be that he was a man of great integrity. And I promise you this, you're going to see the integrity of Boaz. You'll further see the integrity of Boaz and, and even of Ruth, you'll see her character next week. So let me just stop and give you a quick plug for next week. Just, first of all, you gotta be here. But I would say more importantly, you ever go to church on a Sunday and you're like, ah, oh, man, that message, I, I wish I would have brought so-and-so. That week is next week. If you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who's questioning, maybe they would consider Jesus, who's having those conversations and isn't sure, got to bring them next week. They have got to be here next week. They've got to tune in next week. Start praying right now. You don't have to ask God, God, do you want me to invite them or not? I heard from God. God wants you to invite them. Okay? Bring them next week. It's just the most craziest, powerful word you're going to hear next week from this, from this book. So anyway, Boaz means strength. And Boaz happens to be, and this is really important, in particular, next week, this will really come into play, but he is a relative of Elimelech. Remember Elimelech? He he's the husband. He takes Naomi and the two boys, and they, they go to Moab. That was Elimelech. He's dead. But this guy, Boaz, is his relative. And then it says this in verse 2. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Now, there's this thing that goes on in Israel at that time, and you need to know what it's called. It's called gleaning, gleaning. And gleaning is, is, is in the law. It's, it's, it's what Jews are supposed to do, and it's God's kind of social program. This is from Leviticus 19. It lays it out in the law. Leviticus says this. Listen, you, you har farmers. When you guys harvest the crops, you harvest all those crops in your land, don't harvest the grain that's along the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. You guys are going to go and they're going to cut down, cut down, cut down. When you get along the edge of the field, don't cut that down. Just leave it. And if you've harvested everything, you've taken everything off, don't go back to the field with a vacuum cleaner and try to get every last drop. Just like leave it. You spill stuff, you drop stuff, don't pick it up, just leave it. Further, it says it's the same with your grape crop. Same thing. Don't strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and don't pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. You get the idea? Leave some of them behind. Why? Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. And here's why. Because I'm the Lord your God. Because my heart is for the poor. My heart is for the foreigner. My heart is for the widow. My heart is for, is for those who don't have. 
That's the kind of God we serve. That's his heart. You see it over and over and over all through the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, but it's all throughout the Old Testament. He says, don't cut down every stock of grain. Don't grab every grape. Just leave it. Now stop. Just think about this for a minute because I'm going to ask you a question to think in your head. Ruth says to Naomi, hey, let me go out and glean in the fields. How did she know about that? The answer goes back to, this, this, is, this is evidence of her faith. Because in chapter 1, we saw this in verse 16. She says, hey, Ruth, because remember, uh, everybody dies. The husbands die, the, husband, uh, the husbands of the boys die, Elimelech, he dies. And so uh, it's time now, things are, have lightened up in Bethlehem, and, and Naomi says, I'm going to go back. And the girls say, hey, we'll go with you. And she's like, no, 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 you girls stay here. This is your home. You're Moabite women. And you stay here near your families. And besides that, I don't have any sons. The custom would be if, if she had other sons, they were supposed to marry these girls and provide for them. She says, I don't have any other kids. And besides, by the time I could have more kids, it's going to be way too long. You girls just stay here. And they say, no, 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 we want to go with you. Well, eventually, Naomi talks to him. And Orpah, the one daughter-in-law, she goes, okay, I'll stay here in Moab. And the other girl, her name is Ruth. And she makes this declaration, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. She says, listen to me, I'm going with you. Here's the deal. Where you go, I'm going. Where you live, I will settle down and I will live there. Your people will now be my people. And here's the important part. She says, and your God will be my God. Listen, that's not lip service. She wasn't just saying that like, hey, let me, let, me, let me make Naomi feel good. No, 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 she meant it. And part of the way, you're going to find out more later, but part of the way that we knew that she meant it, she was studying the law. She was studying the Jewish law. She knows all about gleaning. She knows that. And so she says to Naomi, hey, let me go out and glean. Let me go out and do that, right? Then back to the story. It says Naomi tells her, okay, girl, you go. You go ahead. So Ruth goes out to gather grain behind the harvesters. This is one of my favorite phrases when you see this in the Bible. Has it happened? Nothing just happens. Like you see the hand of God working all through this book. You just got to pay attention. It says this, as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. And here's the important phrase, and we don't get it because we don't understand how this works. But this Boaz is a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. We're going to explain all that, week, all that next week. But this is really a big deal. And you're going to find out why as it happened is such a big deal. Nothing just happens. You see the hand of God always working. Now, for you and I, when we're living in it, we don't see the hand of God necessarily. But I promise you this, I could open up a mic stand up here and you could come up one after the other, after the other, after the other, who would talk about down the road, you see it now, that it was the hand of God. Okay, this is the hand of God. And it goes to verse 4 and it says, And while she was there, this is while Ruth, she's in the field now, she's gleaning. While she's there, Boaz arises, uh, arrives from Bethlehem and he greets the harvest and he says, The Lord be with you all. And the Lord bless you, the harvesters reply. And, and I know this is just a little thing, but it's not a little thing. Remember, remember the time period that we're dealing with here. In the days when the judges, when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. People were not following God. And yet this Boaz, this strong man who's influential, who has integrity, he rolls up and here's how he talks to his employees. The Lord be with you all. And he's having influence on them. Because the employees, they respond back, the Lord bless you. And that doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but actually, believe it or not, that's how it works here at Cedar Valley. Every morning I roll in at about 10.30 and everybody's at their desk in their offices and I say, the Lord be with you all, and I like that kind of voice. 
And then they say, and the Lord bless you, Brother Neil. It's amazing. It's the greatest thing. So, so anyway, we see the character of Boaz here, man after God. And then Boaz asks his foreman, Psst, who, who, who's that girl over there? And this is very interesting. Who does she belong to? Who does she belong to is this. Psst, who's that? She's single? That's what that means. That was the first time I met Kimmy, we talked, and I'm like, girl, who you belong to? Remember when I said that? And she was like, just like that. Now, here's the thing we have to be a little careful of, is we, we think automatically right off the bat, this is a romantic thing. We don't know that. We're going to see Boaz be very kind to Ruth. We don't specifically know that it's because it's for romantic reasons, but he does notice her, and he does ask, who's that girl belong to? Right? I mean, could it? Could it be? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you where I feel in the story where it becomes maybe a romantic, just, just my own twisted theology. Then it says this. The foreman, he says, who's that girl? The foreman says, well, she's the young woman from, Noah, from Moab who came back with Naomi. She's the girl everybody's been talking to. You know, the, the Moab girl, that Moabite girl. You know, she came back. You, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But now... He, he speaks to her, 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 more of her uh, character. She asked me, he's telling Boaz this, the foreman, that girl asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. Now, just, I want you to think about this for just a minute. Okay, first of all, and, and I should, should have explained this to you, but we know that the law says that they have to allow people to glean in the fields. Yes? Okay, the people have to be allowed to glean in the fields. And so she comes, I mean, it's, it's do her, okay? She comes and she asks if she could glean. She doesn't have to ask. She doesn't have to ask. It's the law. It's Levitical. Just FYI, sometimes we always say the law, the law, the law. If you're, if you're newer to the Bible, it's not like the law, like 55 is a speed limit or 70 is a speed limit. It's not, it really means more the instruction. That, that's a better way to understand it. God has given them the law. He's given them the instruction, but they're to follow it. And if they don't follow it, there are consequences for them, right? What we know here is that she's a woman of great humility. She doesn't have to ask, but she asks. And now the foreman is really going to speak to, to, to her work ethic. He says, she's been hard at work ever since she asked me, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. This girl works. You're asking me who that is? She's that Moabite, that Moabite girl that came back with Naomi? She asked me. She asked me if she could glean. She's humble. She's, she's pleasant. And furthermore, once she asked me and I said, yes, man, she just worked like crazy. This girl works. She just took a few minutes just to get a little rest in the shelter. I mean, that was about it. And then Boaz says this. Boaz goes over to Ruth and he says, now, now watch this. Listen, my daughter. Now again, what does he owe her? That's a, that's a really important thought that, that you should have in your head right now. What does he owe her? The only thing that he owes her, the only thing that she deserves, the only thing that she has coming is that she can glean in the field. The law says so. The Levitical law says so. She's supposed to do that. Anything above and beyond the law is grace. This is grace. If you grew up a church kid, right? You know grace, grace. Oh, yeah, it's, it's undeserved merit. It's undeserved merit. We don't deserve it. Right. She doesn't deserve kindness per se. She deserves to glean in the field. Therefore, anything beyond gleaning is grace. If you, if you were really a church kid, you, you grew up and you knew that the acronym grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. How many of you? Nobody. Okay, good. And so 
this, this, is, this is even an act of kindness above that. And then he says this, hey, stay here with us, right here, when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Why not? Because it's the days of the judges. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. It's not safe for women. He's telling her, stay here. We're going to take care of you. This is an act of grace, believe it or not. He doesn't have to. He's not required to do that. He doesn't have to go and be kind to her and seek her out. He says, don't go to any other fields. You stay right here and behind the young women that work in my field. Then he says, see which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. What is that? That's grace. Hey, fellas, I don't want you picking on her. You touch her, you're going to deal with me. Got it? That's his grace. Does he do that for everybody? I don't know. I don't know. Regardless, this is grace that he's given to her. Then further it says this, And when you are thirsty, get a load of this. When you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they've drawn from the well. What is that? That's more grace. That's more grace. They don't do that for everybody. They don't have to do that. It's not required, and that person doesn't deserve it. What they deserve is to glean from the field. They don't take care of everybody. They don't give everybody water. I mean, they, they, they just don't do that. And then it says this, Ruth falls at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done? Like, what's the answer? What has she done to deserve such kindness? What's the answer? Bubkus, man, nothing. She's done nothing. She's supposed to be able to glean. How come he's been kind to her? How come he's protected her? How come he's told everybody else, back off? How come he's telling her about water? All of that is grace. Every bit of that is grace. And then she says this. Well, she asked, what have I done? And then she says this. I'm only a foreigner. Like, I'm really not worthy of this. I'm especially not worthy of this. I'm a foreigner. I'm the Moabite chick. Do you remember this? To which Boaz quickly says, duh. Like, right? Like, that's the new international knucklehead version. I mean, that's just, that's, that's like, she's like, I'm the foreigner. He's like, Psst, I knew that, sister. Like, you didn't have to tell me that. Right? What he really said is, yeah. I know, Boaz replied. And so watch this. I know who you were. I mean, I know who you are. I know your background. I know your past. Watch what he says to her. But I also know, here's what I also know. I know everything that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Girl, I know where you're from. I know your past. I know everything you've done. I know who you've become. I, I know who you've become. I see that the way that you treat your mother-in-law. I know that you don't have to. I get all that. He says, I've heard how you left your father, you left your mother, you left your own land to live here among complete strangers. I know who you are. I know where you came from. I know your people, the Moabites. I know all of that. I know what you've done for Naomi. Girl, I know your past, and I know that you left it all. That's what I know about you. I know that you have left it all. And then further, he does a cool little thing. He says, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, may he reward you fully for what you have done. He blesses her. That's more grace. He blesses her. I mean, it's just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Wait, the grace isn't done. Get a load of this. Verse 14. At mealtime, now they're all eating, right? He takes care of his workers. Yes. But at mealtime, Boaz calls to her, to Ruth. And he says, come on over here. And help yourself to some food. Does she deserve that? Is he required to do that? Is that the law? No. It's over and above that. What is that? That's more grace. Further, he says, you can dip your bread in the sour wine. I wouldn't be able to tell. I mean, who would know when the last time this girl has ever been able to dip her bread in sour wine? Not a chance. Not a chance. He's providing for her. It's more grace. It's more grace. It's more grace. 
So she sat with his harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain. Now he's even given her roasted grain. This isn't just like, hey, you've picked it. Hope you can go home and grind this into something and mix it with something. No, he's feeding. Who knows when the last time that she had roasted grain. Okay, now for those of you who think, is there something romantic here? Here's how you know. Because she ate all she wanted and still had some leftover. That's, 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 you know, when a woman doesn't clean her plate, man, it's a date. Like I'm doing some leftovers. I'm just going to. Like, this is a date now. Like, they came, Boaz walks over the aluminum foil, and he wraps it up, and he does all this, and it's the head of a swan. Like, that's what happened here. Okay? She ate all she wanted. <laughs> that's, that's, don't write that part down. Just don't. We'll edit that when we, right. But she ate all she wanted, and she still had some left over. So now, grace isn't done. So good. 15. When Ruth goes back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, hey, now, this is so cool. Let her gather grain right from the sheaves, right from the sheaves without stopping her. So here's what you do. The men go through, and they're cutting, man. They're cutting. They're cutting grain. They're cutting grain. It's all falling down. And then the women come through, and they're gathering it, and they wrap a piece of barley around it. And they have these sheaves, and they'll, like, stand up, right? That, that's the sheaves. They're not supposed to have any of that. He said, God told them in the Levitical law, hey, just don't cut everything down along the edges. Leave that. And remember, if you go through and you harvest everything, you, some got spilled and it got left there, right? Just leave it. Don't go back and clean it up. That's what they got to give them. No, no, no. Boaz is saying, hey, when you guys have done all the work and you've cut, and then you guys have done all the work and you've wrapped it up and you've made the sheaves and they're standing there, let her pick right out of those. Like, don't even give her a hard time. Just let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And further, he says, oh, wait, here's another idea. Pull some of the heads of barley from the bundles, from the sheaves, and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up. And don't give her a hard time. Are you kidding me? Every bit of this is grace. Every bit of this is grace. Okay, so, so Ruth leaves. She finally leaves. She goes back home. She's telling Naomi, what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? She's talking to Naomi, her former mother-in-law. And Ruth says, what's more? Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. And not just that. So Ruth worked alongside the women of Boaz's fields and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. And then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in the early summer. What is all that? It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. And then I started to ask this. I wonder if that's enough. Is that where the story goes? I'm just telling you, man, it's so funny to me. Like, you don't know this. You don't know this. I seriously have the greatest job in the world. I don't know if you're aware of it. I get paid. I get a paycheck to sit and study the Bible and just to learn. And there are things that I, there are things that I learn, and, and I come and I, and I preach on a message, and people go, wow, I don't know how you know all that. And I was like, well, I just learned it about three days ago. So <laughs> this is one of those revelations. This is one of those things that God said to me, right? I want you to see how the story ends, and then I want us to talk about it, because I think we need to have a different understanding of grace. Remember this, watch. Uh, Ruth, grace, 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 right? Boaz, giving grace, giving grace, giving grace, giving grace, giving grace. She is living large. This girl's got so much grain right now. She's sitting with the boss and he fed her roasted grain. She's, she's, dipping, she's dipping grain in the sour wine. He's looking out for her. He's protecting her. Grace, grace. She doesn't need anybody else. 
She's good. She's all, she could be totally on her own, but watch, watch what she does. At the end of the chapter, the last line, it says, all the while, she lives with her mother-in-law. Why? It's not really her mother-in-law anymore. She doesn't have any responsibility. Naomi's not going out to the field to work. Who's going out to the field to work? Ruth is. Ruth's doing all the work. She's the one receiving all the grace. She can go out and get her own apartment, man. She doesn't need the former mother-in-law. She can do this on her own. She's being taken care of. Why is she living with Naomi? See, I think this is a different understanding of grace. I, I was in our... Uh, I mean, I, I just posed the question, really, is there more to grace? But I was in our, in our CV group. Man, if you're not in a CV group, I'm sorry, you're missing out. You're missing out. If you ever want to know what's going to come up in a couple of months, just come to our CV group and listen to the people in my CV group talk. And I'm always like, that was good. Got to have that. You know, got to use that, you know. And so a couple weeks back, we were studying, uh, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we are in Acts 13, and this is after the resurrection of Jesus, right? And, and it's after the conversion of Saul, and Saul has now become Paul, and Paul and Barnabas are now commissioned by the believers there, and they send him out. He's on his first missionary journey. He's on his first missionary journey, and uh, they're in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas. And on the day of worship, they walk into the temple, and they're, and they're worshiping, right? And... Uh, uh, they would always read from the book of, they would read from, the, from the, their Old Testament. It was called the book of Moses, but it's Genesis, Exodus. There would be a reading from that, and then they would read from the prophets, and they did all that. And then, crazy, the guys who were running the whole thing, I, I don't know how this works, they turn to Paul and Barnabas and they go, you guys got anything you want to say just to encourage people? And I got a feeling like they've experienced the resurrected Christ. I got a feeling that Paul is just like, are you... Booyah, yes, I will speak. And Paul gets up and he starts telling them about the resurrected Jesus. Hey, this Jesus, he's the exact guy that the, the prophets foretold. And they crucified him and they, he died and they put him in a tomb. But he rose from the dead. He wrote, there are people walking to Jerusalem right now who have seen him. There are a lot of, he appeared to me in a crazy way on this road to Damascus. Like there are people who have seen this road. It's by the name of Jesus that you got to be saved. And it says that the devout Jews and the Gentile converts who were then worshiping there, they were just going crazy. And they received Christ. They were coming to Christ. They were surrendering their life to Christ. And so now things are kind of over. And Paul's, Paul and Barnabas, they're kind of like walking out. And they're all after him. No, no, no. You guys can't go. You, can't, you got to come back here and preach next Sabbath. You guys got to come back here and preach. And so what's got Paul going to you know, say to them as an encouraging word? And when Paul walks out, he kind of gives them his last words. And he says, hey, hey, rely on grace. I thought that was interesting. Rely on grace. And then, and then you get to 2 Timothy. And you read 2 Timothy and Paul tells Timothy, hey, be strong in grace. And then you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're told, grow in grace. And all of a sudden, I started having this feeling, oh, wait, wait, wait. We always think of grace like this static thing that you and I receive because we have. We receive grace. We receive grace. We receive grace. We're even thankful for grace. But is that a true picture of grace? Is that really the grace of God? It's just something we receive. Because this, to me, sounds like it's active like grace is an active thing. Like we saw Naomi, she received grace and then she doles it out to her mother-in-law. Like we're supposed to rely on grace, be strong in grace, grow in grace. Grace is an active thing. It's not just like this static thing that we receive and we're so happy for it. So I was trying to think of word pictures for you guys because I'm visual. How many of you are visual? I always ask that. Yeah, right on. Thank you. I'm visual. Word pictures are really helpful for me. Do you remember when you were a kid and you're in like second grade or something like that and somebody at school would say something really mean to you? 
you know? So you go home, you talk to your mom or your dad, you're like, hey, mom, hey, dad, this kid said something really mean to me. You remember, say this with me. Remember what your parents would say? Sticks and stones, break your bones, words will never hurt. Skip that, because that doesn't work for kids. No, the really good instruction you got from your friends at school. Remember, now say this with me. Remember this? You are rubber, I am glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Did you not say that, right? Listen to me. That's a beautiful word because this is grace. That's how grace actually works. You receive grace, boom. Right? How many of you play Uno? You know what this is? It's a reverse card. It's a reverse card. Now, Uno's a card game. You don't go to hell for playing Uno. It's safe to play Uno. It's a good card game. Don't worry about it, everybody. And so Uno is this game where you're trying to get rid of all your cards. That's why when you get down to just one, you got to warn everybody at the table and you say, Uno. Now everybody knows, oh, we got to get them. And we're not going to try to let you play. So here's what happens. You're sitting right behind me, right? The circle goes like this. Person, 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 person. It's going just like this, right? Now it gets to me. And I got to make sure you don't, I either got to have one of those draw 26 cards thing, or I go like this, right? This is like, oh, no, it's going the other way. But I want to play just like that, right? That's reverse. Boom. That's it. That's what grace really looks like. It comes to us and we go, right? That's grace. That's the way that grace actually works. We think, and I've thought, maybe I'm the only one in the room. I just think if it's me, maybe it's somebody else. We think for the longest time that grace is this thing. It's like, man, I've received the grace of God. I'm so grateful for the grace of God. And I'm like, but that's an incomplete picture. What happens is we rely on grace. We walk in grace. We live by grace. We grow strong in grace. Why? Because grace goes, boosh. Just like that. It, it, should, it should just ricochet off of us. So I have one word picture that I think is slightly better to help you understand grace, and that's the big so what today. The big so what is grace is more of a recycling bin than a storage bin. See, these are storage bins, right? And you put something in a storage bin, it might come out again someday. It might. Right? I know you all have stuff in your house because I got stuff in my house. What's in there? Oh, no, we're saving that storage bin. It might come out someday. It might come out. Who knows? But see, we're not storage bins. As followers of Jesus, you know what we are? We're recycling bins. And a recycling bin, you put something into a recycling bin with the express idea that it's going to come out of something beautiful someday. Follow me? Okay, here's what's happened. The grace of God has been poured into your life. We've been saved from hell. We've been freely forgiven of our sins. We have eternal life. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have strength to walk. What is that? That is God's grace. What happens? Zoom. It's got to come out. See, that's real grace. That's the grace of God. So what I want to do is, is give you something like tangible for a now what? And I really couldn't think of something really tangible. So I, I made them now what just for me this week. So you can leave your program, your bulletin with me this week. But, but just think about this. There's a lot of ways for God's grace to be expressed through us. A lot. I was just thinking, what's most difficult? What do I struggle with? What is the greatest challenge? What do I really have a hard time with in my own personal life? And for me, the thing that, one of the things that I struggle with the most, in, in all honesty, is forgiveness. Okay, now one of the biggest pieces of grace that we've experienced from God is his forgiveness. He just freely forgave us. Your sins, man, when you come to Christ, when you, when you acknowledge your sin, your sins are wiped out. That's the grace of God. 
Okay, so, so we should forget, we've been forgiven, boom, just like that. Here's how it works in my life. If you came and we were talking here after the service and you said something to me that was just really mean, you knew it was mean, I knew it was mean, you meant to hurt me, I knew you meant to hurt me, you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong, I know it's wrong, everybody who doesn't know knows it's wrong. If you come to me the next day and you go, hey, Neil, psh, I don't know what I was thinking, brother. I just lost my marbles for a second. I, I just want to apologize. I'm really sorry. You forgive me. You know what? I'm over it. Like right now, I am over it. I have moved on. I'm good. We're good. Here's where I really struggle. People who offend me, they know they've offended me. I know they've offended me. The people who don't know that they've offended me, they know that they've offended me. I can't let it go. Now, I'm more aware of it today than I've ever been. I'm working on it by the grace of God. I'm saying, God, you've got you've to you've create forgiveness. I re, I'm just being really honest, man. That is hard for me. And again, if it's me, it might be you. But should there be anybody more forgiving than Christians? Christians who have received forgiveness? Like freely? We just ask for it. Boom, okay, yep. Oh, all that horrible stuff that you've done all your life that is an affront to me because I'm a holy God. Yep, we're good. Just like that. Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? So I, I, I want to just mention this too. Uh, let, me, let me give you the big now. I just kind of wrote it for me, to be honest. This week, look for an opportunity to extend forgiveness. I'm telling you, look for an opportunity. Look for opportunities this week. What's your area where you struggle to, to give grace? What's your area where you, 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 you struggle to love people? You struggle to forgive people? You Man, in the day that we're living in, what, what about those people who have different political views than you do? That's good. Right on. Right on. I just love you. I don't care. It's all good. What about those people who have different feelings than you do about the coronavirus? It's all good. Think about to wear a mask. Think about it. shouldn't wear a mask. It's all good. Okay. Full of grace. Right? What about people who are on different, d d different areas uh, 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 along the racial spectrum? Who don't look like you, don't think like you, aren't where you're from? We just go, psh, psh. right? That, that's the grace of God. Because grace isn't something we just go, oh, thank you. Grace goes, psh, psh. just like that. That's grace. That's grace. And let me just, let me just throw one little piece on top of this, because I read this, you know, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he, he talks to them about the fruits of the Spirit. Man, we're not under the law. We're not under that anymore. We have the Holy Spirit. We're, we're people under the Spirit. And here's the kind of fruit, Galatians chapter 5. Here's the fruit it should produce in you. Love, joy, peace, patience. Then he gets to chapter 6, and he's talking about, man, this, living this Christian life and reaching other people for Christ. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's hard work. But hang in there, because if we don't give up, man, in due time, in due time, we're going to reap a harvest. And he tells them that. And then right after he says that, he says, so. He says, therefore. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity... We should do good to everyone. And it'd be cool if he just handed it there. But church, now listen, church, I'm talking to church. Especially, Paul says, to those in the family of faith. See, I think what if it started here in our building? What if in our building, what if in our church, we were just, we were so gracious with each other? What if we just were ready to forgive, man, ready to love, ready to serve, ready to take care of each other? What if somebody said to you something to you and it kind of hurt and you just went, grace. What if somebody said something and, and you, 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 you did kind of take offense at it, right? And you just went, hey, I'm not going to be hurt. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not, right? See, that's grace. We're, we're way more recycling. Bin. We're not storage bins, folks. 
we take grace in and it just, it comes out of something beautiful. Something beautiful. So this week on your, on your bulletins, we bought like 600 decks of Uno cards and then we put these on there, right? Not really. But I think this is such a cool reminder, man. Go home and put this on a mirror. Put this in the visor in your car. Carry it with you somewhere. And it just says at the top, grace, give grace and receive grace. It's this cycle. We just keep giving it. This is how grace works. We just keep getting it. We just keep giving it out. You understand? This is a great little reminder. I love that our team did this. So take this with you. Let this be a reminder. What I would ask yourself is this. What, not if, what is the, the love of God, the grace of God going to look like coming out of me? See, that's grace. We've been so impacted by the grace of God that it just has to come out of us. So now, Father, thank you that you are God of all grace and we are the recipients of grace. But God, we don't want to be the storage bins of grace. We're not trying to store it up. God, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us sight. Help us to see things where we can just like express that grace. And in whatever way that is, God, you'll speak to us. Holy Spirit, you convict us. Thank you, Spirit, that you've been here, that you've taught us, that you spoke to our hearts this morning. And now, Father, as we leave this building, help us to be the church. Help us to go be, to get out of here and go be the church to a lost and hurting world that desperately needs a Savior, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said,